All right, well, I hope you found Acts chapter 16. Uh, Last week, we looked at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey in the book of Acts. And uh, here's a map of where they traveled in the first part of Acts 16. Uh, So we saw how they started there uh, on the, the right side of the map in Antioch. Paul wanted uh, to go on this journey with Barnabas, but they disagreed about whether or not they should take John Mark. Uh, so they decided to take two separate journeys. So Barnabas took Mark and he went one way, and then Paul took Silas and went another way. And as they went uh, west, as you can see those green arrows pointing in, a, in, in the westward direction, uh, the Holy Spirit stopped them from going a couple of places that they wanted to go. So they kept on going uh, and and were guided by the Holy Spirit, even though they didn't know where they were going, until finally uh, God gave Paul a vision of a man from Macedonia, which you can see on the uh, kind of the northwest part of the map. God gave a a vision to Paul of a man from Macedonia saying, come help us. And so that was when they realized that God was calling them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. So today, we're going to see what happened in the very first city in Macedonia that they visited, Philippi. Uh, We're going to read our passage together. We're going to be in Acts 16, verses 11 through 40. And uh, since these words are breathed out by God, uh, they're without error, they're sufficient for life and godliness, they come with the very authority of the Lord Jesus himself, Uh, if you're able, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Acts 16, starting in verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and following, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her whole household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. 
about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the, prisoner do- or the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and Trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night And washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once. He and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house. And set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household. That he had believed in God. But when it was day. The magistrate sent the police. Saying let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul. Saying the magistrates have let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, and do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. When Jesus comes to town, everyone is impacted. That's what, we have, that's what we see in Philippi happen. For some, that impact was the greatest life change they had ever experienced. Frankly, for others, the impact that they experienced was something they would have preferred not to have experienced. But one thing's for sure. No one was unaffected. When Jesus comes to town, everyone is impacted. Well, in a similar way, when Jesus comes into a heart, everything is impacted. It is not possible for Jesus to be to be merely an add-on to an otherwise unchanged heart. When a person trusts in Jesus for salvation, that person will experience transformation in their life as well. So a question that we need to ask ourselves is, do you want Jesus to make an impact on your life? 
Do you want Jesus to change your heart? Or are you content with the way it is? Do you want Jesus to remove things that shouldn't be there? Or would you rather hold on to them? Well, today, we're going to see the impact that Jesus made in Philippi. And in so doing, we're going to see the impact that Jesus wants to make in our hearts. My prayer is that the Lord would open all of our hearts and that each of us would desire the kind of life change that he wants to make in us, that none of us would be content with remaining the same, that we would gladly, joyfully, willingly give up the things that are to make way for the things that Jesus wants to create in us. We're going to consider four ways that Jesus makes an impact. Uh, and we'll, we'll walk through each of these in turn, but just so you know where we're going, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see, number one, Jesus transforms a heart. Second, we're going to see Jesus disturbs idolatry. Three, we're going to see Jesus produces kindness. And then four, Jesus reorders motivations. We'll look at each one of these in turn, but first of all, let's consider how Jesus transforms a heart. We can see this in verses 11 through 15 and the story of Lydia. Rewinding a little bit, though, whenever Paul received the vision calling him to go to Macedonia, immediately Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and whoever else may have been with them, they went to Macedonia. Uh, and so you, we can uh, look at back at that map and see the, uh, the way that they got there. They were already heading west um, toward Troas, and then they kept on going. Uh, you can see that little tiny white dot, that island of Samothrace. That was uh, mentioned in the text. They went from Samothrace to Neapolis, and then Neapolis all the way to Philippi, which is where all of the stories take place that we see today. And they were in Philippi for several days, Luke tells us. And when the Sabbath day came, Paul looked for where the Jews were gathered. That was what he always did when he went into a new place. But unlike some of the places that they had been to before, in Philippi there were very few Jews. Uh, they went outside the gate of the city to look for Jews because small groups from foreign religions were not allowed to gather inside the city. And they were looking for a synagogue but all they found was a small group of women praying together. You had to have at least 10 Jewish men to have a full-blown synagogue. But Paul and his companions sat with this small group of women, and they shared the gospel with them. One of the women there was Lydia. Told a couple of things about her. She was a seller of purple goods. Well, purple dye was very expensive. And so the clients that Lydia would have served would have been very wealthy. So Lydia was a, a person of some status and wealth. She was also, we're told, a worshiper of God. And that's a term that's used to refer to a Gentile who worshiped the one true God of Israel. But the most important thing about Lydia is not what she did, but what Jesus did for her. Look at verse 14. Luke tells us, the Lord opened 
her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Jesus did a work in her heart. When Paul spoke, she didn't just hear noise. Uh, Her heart accepted what he said as it really was the truth of the gospel, the very word of the creator God. And because of the Lord's work in her heart, Lydia was able to hear the gospel and believe the gospel. So she was baptized. And she wasn't the only one. Lydia's whole household was baptized. They all heard the gospel. They all believed the gospel. And they all were baptized. And what then does Luke tell us is Lydia's first act as a baptized believer? She opens up her home to Paul and those with him. The Lord had shown generosity to her, so she showed generosity to others. The Lord had opened up her heart, and so she opened up her home. As we look at the story of Lydia, we can sum up the story this way. When Jesus saves a person, he transforms a person. You can't come to Jesus and not be changed by Jesus. In fact, you can't come to Jesus until you've been changed by Jesus. Jesus must open your heart if you're going to receive the gospel. This is what happened to Lydia. Jesus opened her heart to pay attention to Paul. Otherwise, she wouldn't have paid attention. If she had not been changed, she could not have believed. On our own, we are closed off to the truth of the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 says, None is righteous, no, not one. We all know that. No one's perfect. We're comfortable with that. But listen to how he goes on. No one understands. No one seeks For God, if Jesus does not open up our heart, we won't be interested in Jesus. But here's what that means. If in your heart, you are really interested in what the word of God says. You're really wanting to lean in. And hear, what is this about Jesus? That means Jesus is doing a work in your heart. If you find yourself in your heart paying attention, leaning in, saying, what is it about this? What is this life change? What is this impact that Jesus can make in my heart? That means Jesus is opening up your heart. Do not miss what the Lord Jesus is doing in your heart, if that is you. Don't miss the amazing gift that Jesus has given you, that you are interested, that you're paying attention. I mean, this is what happened to Lydia. She found herself hearing the truth of the gospel in a way that she hadn't heard anything before in her life. What? Jesus can save me? From my sins? Tell me everything that you can tell me about this 
Jesus. I've got to hear more. If that's you today, Jesus is opening your heart to pay attention. So don't miss what he's trying to tell you from his word. So Jesus transformed Lydia's heart in a way that she was able to hear and receive the gospel. But that's not where the transformation stopped. Because when Jesus saves a person, he transforms the way they live their life, too. After Lydia believed the gospel, there was immediate evidence. What was the evidence that she had a changed heart? Her generosity. She opened up her home to Paul and his companions. And it seems that this was more than just a one-time act of hospitality to some missionaries. Because at the end of the chapter in verse 40... It it seems that Lydia may have even opened up her home to be the gathering place for the church in Philippi. Uh, But I want you to notice something about this transformation in Lydia. The way that she has now a, a transformed life in Christ. This transformation, it didn't mean that she gave up selling purple goods to become a full time missionary. She didn't renounce her wealth and make an oath of poverty. But she also didn't just keep on doing business as usual either. Jesus didn't change Lydia's job or her wealth, but Jesus changed how she did her job and how she used her wealth. If Jesus has transformed your heart, how has he transformed your work doesn't have to be a transformation of job title, but in what way has Jesus transformed the way that you work? How has Jesus transformed the way that you use the money that you make? Jesus does, at times, call people to leave their fishing nets behind or to sell everything they own and follow him. But even if he doesn't change what you do or what you make if he is lord he will transform how you do what you do and what you do with what you make because jesus transforms a heart he transformed lydia's heart he transformed her heart in an instant to hear and he transformed every day of her life afterward well, let's consider the next way that Jesus makes an impact. We've seen how he transforms a heart. Next, though, we're going to see how Jesus disturbs idolatry. See that in verses 16 through 24. Jesus disturbs idolatry. So as Luke tells us what's happening in Philippi, he tells us about another day that they were going to pray, or they were trying to, and then all of a sudden this slave girl starts following them. A girl who was oppressed by a spirit that was able to make her able to give people their fortunes, tell people their fortunes. And the masters who owned this slave girl made a lot of money off of this. I mean, who doesn't want a little bit of a glimpse into their future, right? This would have been a hot commodity. But as she followed Paul and his companions, 
the spirit within her caused her to yell out about these men. Look at verse 17. She said, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, the Bible records several stories of encounters with evil spirits, and one of the things that is really clear in multiple stories, all spirits know who the one true God is. They're not confused. They have really good theology, actually. But after this went on for several days, Paul got annoyed. What she was saying might have been true, but it wasn't exactly helping their cause. (laughs) So finally, he turned to the Spirit, and he commanded it to come out in the name of Jesus. And immediately, it came out. And for that girl, I mean, that was amazing. This spirit had been oppressing her, and now she had been set free. This would change her whole life. But for her masters, this was infuriating. Look at verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone. Now, I got to point this out. The word gone is the same word as in verse 18 that Paul used when he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and the spirit came out of her. This oppressing spirit comes out of her, but what do the owners see? Their prophet came out of her. Their hope of gain was gone, and so they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. So forget that this girl had just had her life changed. In their eyes, they lost their cash cow. They had just had a front row seat to a miracle done by God himself. But all they could think about was money. So the masters dragged Paul and Silas to the marketplace. The marketplace was where the city leaders, the magistrates, would settle disputes. It's like almost taking them to court. Then the accusations start coming. Look at verses 20 and 21. These men are Jews. They're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they say, these men are foreigners. Their religion is against the laws and the values of our country. They're disturbing our city. Well, I mean, can you imagine if someone on our town square was saying, hey, these people are going against the values of our country. They're going against the laws. They're doing stuff illegal. You think that might stir up some people who were standing by? Well, those accusations was all it took for a crowd to get stirred up, and the crowd starts attacking Paul and Silas. The magistrates even gave orders for people to beat them. And after they had roughed them up, they put them in prison. Well, Paul and Silas's accusers were right about one thing. There was a disturbance that day, but they were wrong about what had been disturbed. They claimed Paul and Silas had disturbed the city's economy. But what really happened is Jesus had disturbed their idol. 
when Jesus comes to town, idols will be disturbed. And rightly so. I mean, if Jesus starts to transform a town, it should infuriate drug dealers. It should bankrupt human traffickers. He should disturb idols when Jesus comes to town. But Jesus doesn't just want to disturb the idols in town. He wants to disturb the idols in your heart. And when Jesus starts to meddle with your idols in your heart, well, we have a choice to make. Respond with hostility like the slave girl's masters did. You can defend your idols with all sorts of excuses that sound really honorable, like just like they did. I mean, what about our laws? What about the values of our country? What about the economy? What about my happiness? What about my livelihood? What about my family? When Jesus starts to put his finger on the idol in my heart, I can shove his hand away, or I can let his loving, kind, gentle hand reach in and take out that idol, and I can repent. How will you respond when Jesus puts his finger on the idol of your heart? Jesus wants to transform our hearts, but that doesn't happen without him disturbing our idols. As we continue to see the impact that Jesus makes, the next way that we see him make an impact is that Jesus produces kindness. Jesus produces kindness. See this in verses 25 to 34. So there Paul and Silas were in prison. It's about midnight, but they weren't sleeping. They were worshiping. They're praying And singing hymns to God, verse 25 tells us, even as they were being persecuted, they had hope in God. And Luke tells us that the other prisoners were listening to them. I mean, let's be honest, praying and singing is bizarre behavior in the maximum security section of the town jail. So it got their attention. Not only that, though, it it seems that this earned Paul and Silas some influence among the other prisoners, which will be important as the story unfolds. So they're praying and singing, and then suddenly, there's an earthquake, and it is shaking the place violently. It's not enough to take the whole place down, but it is so violent that all of the doors of the prison open up. Uh, The chains that bound the prisoners were loosed from the walls so that all of a sudden everything that was keeping the prisoners from getting out was suddenly gone. Well, 
So the jailer apparently lived above the prison. And when the earthquake woke him up, he ran downstairs in a panic. And he saw all the prison doors open. And he assumed what anyone would assume when they see prison doors open. Oh, the prisoners must have run out. Well, in those days, the punishment was severe for jailers who let prisoners escape. You might remember in Acts 12. How when Peter escaped from prison, Herod put to death the soldiers that were supposed to guard him. So this jailer in Philippi decided that he would rather take his own life than go through whatever punishment he was going to receive as a result of letting these prisoners out. But Paul knew what he was about to do and he told him, stop. Don't harm yourself. Look, we're all here. And, you know, for for Paul and Silas, this makes maybe some sense. The Lord hadn't told them to leave the prison like he had done with Peter. Uh, So they stayed put. But why didn't the other prisoners leave? Well, again, it seems that Paul and Silas had influenced the other prisoners to stay because Paul was able to say, we're all here. And this was a tremendous act of kindness on the part of Paul and Saul, uh, uh, Paul, excuse me, Paul and Silas. I mean, this act of kindness for them to stay there when they could have easily gone out, it literally saved his life. So the jailer asks for lights, he rushes in, he falls down in front of Paul and Silas, shaking with fear. You know the terror of, one, of when something terrible almost happens? And then it doesn't, like you're going down the highway at 70 and you almost hit a deer and then you don't. And then it's like this like aftershock effect of terror. Well, this jailer just experienced an act of kindness that left him stunned. And the jailer took Paul and Silas outside and look what he asks in verse 30. Sirs. What must I do to be saved? Now, don't miss the irony here. A jailer is asking prisoners, how can I be freed? Why does he ask this? Well, you know, it may have been that he heard that there was this slave girl who had been running around yelling for days about them in the way of salvation. He may have known that the reason they were being arrested was because of their religious teaching. Or he might have just thought this earthquake was, you know, a sign from above. It doesn't really matter because Paul and Silas use it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. They answer his question in verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. How does a person receive the salvation that Jesus offers? Believe. Trust in Jesus. And and to be clear, what they are not saying is that if he believes, then his whole household is saved because of his belief. No, what they're saying is that the offer is not just for him. It's for his whole household. Anyone can trust in Jesus and be saved. And, And that becomes even clearer 
when we see what they did next in verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. So they, they shared the gospel not just with the jailer. They shared the gospel with all who were in his house. Because they all needed to hear the gospel for themselves. And they all needed to believe in the gospel for themselves. No one can believe in Jesus for you. You have to believe in Jesus for yourself. Kids, you will not be saved by your parents' faith. you got to know that. No one can believe in Jesus for you. You have to believe in Jesus for yourself. But the good news of the gospel is that no one else has to believe for you. You can believe in Jesus for yourself. Anyone can trust in Jesus. And that's exactly what the jailer did. It's exactly what every member of his household did. They believed in Jesus. And as the section ends, the jailer expresses his faith in several different ways. Uh, He and his whole family are baptized as an expression of their belief in Jesus. Uh, He and his whole family rejoice together at their newfound faith. But he also demonstrates compassion and hospitality to Paul and Silas, who had shared the gospel with them. He took these prisoners and he washed their wounds. Uh, he, He took them up to his house and he laid out a table of food for them. And just like Lydia, after the jailer believed the gospel, he demonstrated his heart change through his actions, through his hospitality. Because when Jesus transforms a heart, he produces kindness in that heart. We see that in the Philippian jailer. He was saved, and immediately the evidence of his salvation was this kindness that he showed toward Paul and Silas. But I want to consider not necessarily his kindness, but consider the kindness that Jesus produced in Paul and Silas. Prison doors are open. Chains are loose. How easy would it be to just look out for number one? I mean, they were in there unjustly. It wouldn't have been wrong for them to leave, just to run away before the jailer came down. I mean, they could have even let the jailer kill himself and then escaped. But instead, they saved that man's life by staying in jail and apparently influencing the other prisoners to stay in jail as well. And not only was that man's physical life saved that night, this act of kindness paved the way for him to hear the gospel so he could be saved unto eternal life. When we live out the fruit of the gospel, when we live our transformed lives before others, It is a powerful testimony. When you live differently than the average prisoner, when you live differently than everyone else, you stand out. People notice. A person will remember that time that you were kind to them when no one else was. People notice when you don't complain when everyone else is joining in in the complaints. It stands out when you're willing to give up convenience and comfort in order to show kindness to other people that the world is not willing 
to give up in order to show kindness. I mean, we can choose to look like the rest of the world, and we won't stand out. We'll just blend right in, fly under the radar, or we can be different. We can let the Holy Spirit produce the fruit of kindness in our hearts that he is eager to produce in us. And maybe someone will notice. And you can tell that person about the kindness that God showed you that led you to repentance. Jesus transforms a heart. In so doing, he disturbs idolatry, but he also produces fruit like kindness. And there's one last way that we see the impact that Jesus made. It's in the last verses. It's how Jesus reorders motivations. Jesus reorders motivations. Well, the morning after a very eventful night... The magistrates, the city officials, decided they would let Paul and Silas go. But the magistrates didn't go to the jail themselves. They sent the police to the jail to release Paul and Silas. Well, so when the jailer gets word from the police that Paul and Silas had been released, he goes and shares this good news with his new best friends and brothers in Christ. Uh, Go in peace. You're free. And then Paul responds in a bizarre way in verse 37. Look at what he said. They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who were Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. So he makes a couple of points in this statement. First, he says that if they beat us, and arrested us, and imprisoned us publicly, then they should not release us secretly. They should release us publicly. So that's his first point. But then second, he exposes that the magistrates have acted unjustly in a couple of ways. First, Paul and Silas were punished even though they were innocent. They were uncondemned. Second, Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, And it was against the law to beat a Roman citizen like they had done there in Philippi, even if Paul and Silas had been guilty. So in light of these injustices, Paul refused to leave the jail until the magistrates themselves would come and publicly release them. We'll consider more about that in a second. But when the police went back to the magistrates and they shared Paul's response, the magistrates were terrified because they didn't know before that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. Now they realized that they could be in really serious trouble. All of a sudden, the tables were turned, and these powerful men who were leading the city were at the mercy of a couple of prisoners. And so they went and they did exactly as Paul and Silas asked. They went to the prison personally they apologized (laughs) to these prisoners paul and silas and then they released them publicly Uh, though they did ask them politely please leave town so paul and silas left philippi they stopped 
by Lydia's house first. They encouraged their fellow believers who were gathered there in Philippi, and, and then they went on their way. So that's, that's the facts. That's what happened. But what do we make of it? I mean, this sounds some, like something that would be better suited for, like, a lawyer in a legal, like, courtroom drama than for an apostle on a missionary journey. Well, so let's take a, a closer look. So first, notice, Paul did not mention that they were Roman citizens until after they were already going to be released. He could have mentioned it the day before to get out of a beating, but he didn't. It wasn't until they were already free to go that he threw in that they were Roman citizens. I mean, but but this, was, this was his leverage, right? This was what turned the tables of the power dynamic. This was the thing that got the magistrates to do whatever Paul wanted them to do. So why didn't he mention it before? Because he wasn't trying to get out of prison. Paul didn't mention their Roman citizenship until the magistrates tried to release them secretly. So he didn't leverage this to get them out of prison. He leveraged it to get them released publicly. That was what he was after. So why did he want to be released publicly? Well, remember what charges they were brought in on. The slave girl's master said, these foreigners are disturbing our city by teaching a religion that goes against the laws and the values of our country. So when the magistrates publicly put Paul and Silas in jail, they were making a statement to the public. Christianity is a menace to our society. So imagine what would have happened if Paul and Silas had been released secretly. Sure, Paul and Silas would have been free, but Christianity would have been seen as trouble in the public eye. And think about what it would have meant for Lydia and the other Philippian Christians there in Philippi, they would have had a target on their backs. But if the magistrates released Paul and Silas publicly, they would be making a different statement. They would basically be declaring Paul and Silas are innocent. And this would have taken public pressure off of the rest of the Christians in Philippi. What we've seen multiple times now in the book of Acts, from Paul and the other apostles, is the decision came down to something really, really simple. What is best for the sake of the gospel? What is best for the sake of the gospel? Paul leveraged his Roman citizenship, but not for his own benefit. He did it to help the Philippian Christians and make it easier on them to spread the gospel in their community. So here's what I want us to see. When Jesus transforms our hearts, he reorders our motivations. Consider what else Paul could have been motivated by. He could have been motivated by self-preservation. Whenever they were released, he could have thought, whew, great, we're safe, see ya. <laughs> and not even consider the impact that that would have made on the Christians that they were leaving behind. He could have been motivated by revenge. 
He could have sued those magistrates. He could have made a public spectacle out of just how unjust they had acted. He could have put them in their place and shown the public they were right, Paul and Silas were right, and those magistrates were wrong. But he wasn't motivated by self-preservation. He wasn't motivated by revenge. Instead, he was motivated by what is best for the sake of the gospel. If you have trusted in Jesus to save you, are you letting him reorder your motivations? Is your first priority the glory of God? Are are you considering others more important than yourself? When you think of your enemy, is your first thought self-preservation? Is it revenge? Or is it to love them and pray for them? Well, if you're in Christ, there's really good news. There is grace and forgiveness for all of the times that we get our motivations all out of order. And Jesus has given us the very Holy Spirit, God himself, in our hearts, who will empower us and give us grace, who will use his divine power to mold our heart and order and conform our motivations to be more like the motivations and priorities and values of Jesus. When Jesus transforms our hearts, he he reorders our motivations. Because when Jesus comes into a heart, everything is impacted. He comes in, he, he opens up our hearts to be able to receive the gospel and pay attention to it in the first place. He, he comes in and he does meddle with our idols. But he bears fruit in us and starts to make us more like him. And he, he takes our, our lives that can be challenging and decisions that can be confusing and situations that are difficult. And he helps us to, to reorder our motivations so that all of a sudden there's clarity. Because we want what Jesus wants. And when we ask what is best for what Jesus wants, everything else starts to fall in order. Jesus wants to make an impact in your heart. And I go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Do you want him to make an impact in your heart? Do you welcome the change that he wants to bring? Do you welcome him to meddle with your idols? Do you welcome him to produce fruit in you that you would otherwise not want to bear? Would you want him to make you value and love things That the world does not value and love, but that Jesus values and loves. Jesus wants to make an impact in your heart. And my prayer for you is that you would let him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus loves us so much that he will not let us be unchanged. God, how how unkind you would be 
if you saved us from the penalty of our sin, but you just left us in the shackles of sin to keep wallowing in the very thing that you wanted to save us from. Lord, thank you that just like the Philippian jailer washed the wounds of Paul and Silas, you offer an even greater washing in Christ. That you take those of us who were bound by the chains of sin and death and you bring us to your table and you wash us clean. You change us, Lord. And even though our sinful hearts don't often want that change, Lord, it's for the better, Lord. I pray that we would not stiff arm your finger when it comes to our heart. Lord, I pray that we would open ourselves to your loving hand coming in and reordering things to be more like your image. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how you have spoken today. These pages with Words that, Lord, have spoken to generations and words that have spoken, that are spoken all over the world even now. Lord, thank you that you are not silent, but that you speak, and as you do, you change us. We love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.